and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, he doesn't have a right basis. He's not doing God's word. And by the way, you study that in the language, and do you know in the book of James, it's not talking about a man, woman, boy, or girl, just a human being. It's talking about a male. Do you know why? Because a man that is a male doesn't look in the mirror the same way a woman that is a female looks in the mirror. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, I'm preaching truth tonight. I'm not just, just talking. And, and when a man looks in the mirror, <clears throat> he doesn't need to look very long. Why? Because he knows that there's just an innate beauty already there. Okay? Right? He doesn't need to study this picture very long. And he's not going to do it. And by the way, teenage guys, don't be giving me this business where you're going to spend hours looking in the mirror. That's very effeminate. Don't do that. Uh, that's what the girls do. That's not what us guys do, and you're going to ruin it for all of us guys if you keep it up. All right? No. What does a man do? A man looks in the mirror. <clears throat> he looks a little bit. He, he does the necessary improvements. He's there for a little bit, and then he's gone. And he doesn't look in the mirror much the rest of the time down the road all day long. You know why? Because he doesn't need to. Do you know what women do? They carry mirrors in their purse. Right, girls? Yes. And if they don't, now they have <coughs> mirror apps or they look at selfie mode and they get all kinds of uh, pictures. Uh, uh, they, they look every once in a while. They look before they get out of the car. They pull the visor down, look the mirror up. They look once, not only then, it's like talking on the phone. They look, they look not only then, but then they get into the church. First thing they do is go to the bathroom, look in another mirror. Why? Because women look in a mirror much differently than men do. Now, women... That's not a criticism. God bless your mirrors. And we thank the Lord for your mirrors. And God bless you. And look in them as many times as you want to. There's nobody here that is, um, that is uh, criticizing your mirrors. But I'm simply saying that, uh, that when a man looks in a mirror, he goeth his way, forgetteth what manner of man he was, and, and he forgets it. And that's what the Bible is saying there in the book of James. He's saying that a man looks in the mirror in a completely different way. That's somebody that hears God's word, but doesn't do it. Now, you know what concerns me? It always concerns me to be in a Bible preaching church like this one. It always concerns me. You know why? Because this church hears preaching a lot. A lot. They hear a lot of preaching. They have conferences of preaching. They have all kinds of, of special speakers that come in. They have all kinds of uh, special events. They're going to have a celebration next week and a celebration the week after. And uh, this church has a lot of preaching. You know what concerns me about that? Is that you'd be hearers of the word and not doers. That's a real concern. Now, what's the answer? It's not less preaching. It's more obedience. The answer is not less of the word. The answer is more of the word. We don't need less of the word. We need more of it. So the basis needs to be the word of God. Let me say this again. It cannot be philosophy. It cannot be men's opinions. If it is, it's going to fail. Not once, but every single time. And so, I'm here to say to you tonight <clears throat> that if you're going to have your life that is built and that counts, you're going to have your life built upon the Word of God. And I want you to see this from the Bible. Number one is the builder. Who must the builder be? the Lord Jesus Christ. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Then there's the basis. What should the foundation be? The Word of God. The Word of God. 
Now, <clears throat> the Bible says to us in 2 Timothy, the Bible says, excuse me while I arrange things for just a moment. In 2 Timothy, the Bible says that other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ must be the foundation. And Jesus Christ, listen closely, and the Word of God go hand in hand. Always beware of a preacher that tries to make a difference between Jesus Christ and the Word of God. A few years ago, a few months ago, excuse me, there was a famous preacher down in uh, Georgia, very famous preacher down in Georgia. He has a TV ministry. His dad was a TV minister and a famous preacher. And he said, we should differentiate between a lot of people who are trying to get us to place our faith on 66 ancient documents and those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds good. But he was mocking the Word of God while he was trying to promote Jesus Christ. And you know what you do when you hear a preacher like this? You reach in your back pocket and grab your wallet. And you put it in your front pocket and you keep your hand on it. That's what you do with a preacher like that. Do you know why? If you were to turn Jesus Christ into a book, it would be the Bible. If you were to turn the Bible into a person, it would be Jesus Christ. There's a reason why He's called the Word in the Bible. There's a reason. Because He is the Word. He is the manifestation of God's communication and God's revelation to man. So number one, I want you to see the basis the, or the builder, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, I want you to see the basis, and that's the Word of God. Again, it comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now quickly, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in the Word of God. Let's see what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, notice what the Scripture says. In this passage... He's speaking of, to carnal Christians and their need to get right with God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says in, in verse, uh, down in this passage, he deals with this matter of, of, of the being laborers together. In verse number 6, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, there's the basis of our faith. Jesus Christ. That means... If we're going to get to heaven, we're going to have to believe and depend upon Jesus Christ. This building is depending upon a foundation to hold it up. And I'll tell you, that foundation is sure. The foundation of God standeth sure. And the Lord knoweth them that are His. And the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, now watch what he says in verse number 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. All right, let's look at this now. Now, it's crude. Please forgive it being so crude. But, but hopefully it will be memorable. But watch now. 
you have the foundation, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. And that needs to be the foundation all the way around. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is the living Word. So this foundation is otherwise known as the Word of God. Right. That's right. Thank God we got a young preacher in the midst. <laughs> we got the Word of God. That's the foundation. And the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we lean on. He's the one that we trust in. He's the one that we depend on. I want to ask, are you depending upon Him or religion to take you to heaven? Who are you depending upon? All right, now. Now we have the builder, that's the Lord. The foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Number three is the building material. What are we going to use to build this house? Well, watch what it says here in this passage, verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You know what he's got? He's got the option of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. That's what he's got. Now, one, ladies and gentlemen, is what I do in the power of the flesh. The other is what I do in the power of the Spirit. One is what I do, and it's for the glory of God. The other is what I do for the glory of self. You see, you've got two choices every day that you live. Someone said it this way. There are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. What's it going to be? There's two choices when I interact with my family, pleasing God or pleasing self. What's it going to be? There are two choices that I have every day that I live, and one is pleasing the Lord and the other is pleasing myself. What's it going to be? Oh, how important this is. You see, I've got, let me put it this way, two palettes to choose from. I've got the wood hay stubble palette, which pleases Dwight Smith, which is in the power of Dwight Smith, and which is for the glory of Dwight Smith. Or I've got the gold, silver, precious stone palette that I can choose from, and that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and it is, it is done for the glory of the Lord. What's it going to be? Now, what, what, are, you, what are you building from? On a regular, consistent basis, what are you building from? Uh, are you building from the gold, silver, precious stone palette? Now look here, every day that you live, every choice that you make is either from the wood, hay, stubble palette or the gold, silver, precious stone palette. One is from the pleasing self in the power of self and for the glory of self palette or it's pleasing the Lord in the power of the Spirit and for the glory of the Lord palette. Which is it? Every choice that you make interacting with your family. Every choice that you make interacting with your friends. Every choice, not some choices. Every choice that you make is either pleasing God or pleasing self. It's either something that honors the Lord or it's something that doesn't. Which is it? You said, preacher, I don't know. Well, guess what? Someday it's going to be revealed. Now, how many of you keep a journal? Can I see your hand? You keep a journal? Okay, a few of you. The rest of us either have a bad memory or we're not disciplined 
or we don't want to remember. <laughs> right? Uh, or, or we just don't. I've got news for everybody here tonight. A journal's being kept. A record is being written. You might like to erase some things in your life, but it's being written down. Now let me explain that. If you're not saved tonight, every word, every thought, every deed is being written down. You say, of my life, every one. You say, I don't like that. Well, that's a fact. The Bible says, what's done in secret will be shouted from the housetop. Every idle word will be given account for. You say, well, I, I don't want that. I don't want everything to be remembered. All right, if you have sin, if you have marks against you because you've never been saved and you do have sin against you, sin is not erased if you've never been saved. If you have never been saved, that sin will be, will be resoundly heard all through the ages. What you've done, thought, and said. You say, well, is there any way I can reverse that? Yes, get saved. When you get saved, all of that record is taken away. Jesus takes it away and has nailed it to His cross. But if you don't get saved, every word, every thought, every deed will be shouted from the housetop. You say, wait, wait, wait. What, what about after I get saved? All right, watch. After you get saved, your sin is not remembered against you. You say, my past sin. No, your past, present, and future sin. You say, time out, preacher. Time out. How can my future sin be already dealt with? Well, how much of your sin was future when Jesus died on the cross? All of it. And you can say, hallelujah. You say, I don't understand it. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand it either. But God's not in time like you and I are in time. We're in time. We've got past, present, and future. God's outside of time. And Jesus came and entered time, and He took all our sins, and He nailed them to the cross. You're not going to answer for your sin when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. But hear me. You will answer for your works. Whether they were good, gold, silver, precious stones, or bad, wood, hay, stubble. You say, well, what exactly does that mean? Your work for Jesus Christ. Sometimes people do good work for Jesus Christ, but they do it to be seen of men. Immediately it comes from the wood, hay, stubble palette. Sometimes people do work for Jesus Christ, but they do it in the power of the flesh. That's wood, hay, stubble palette. That's not going to be good. That's going to be bad. You say, preacher, I don't want to stand at the judgment and someday find out that I did in the power of the flesh and it was nothing but wood, hay, stubble. Well, then there's a way to avoid that and there's a way to deal with that. You say, preacher, what is that way? Yield to the Spirit of God every single day. Holy Spirit, will you control me? And you know, sometimes you're going to have to do it moment by moment. Sometimes you're thrust in situations where the trouble is so deep and the temptation is so hard, you're going to have to yield. Holy Spirit, I'm yielding to you right now. I'm yielding to you again. I'm yielding to you again. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sure that your motive is in question. You see, motive is going to be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what 1 Corinthians 3 is about. And I find this interesting, that 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, speaking specifically of the judgment seat of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is primarily he speaks of the judgment seat of Christ to a carnal church. He says, you better shape up. You better quit your attitude. You better get a right attitude. You better quit having an impure motive. You better quit doing something for the glory of self. Why? Because you're going to answer for it someday at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn the rest now to the book of 2 Corinthians, would you? 2 Corinthians. And we're going to 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 in the Word of God. I want to end there and finish there. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, notice what he says here in 2 Peter chapter 1 when he says, giving all diligence. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6. He says in verse number 5, beside this, giving all diligence. You know, building a house takes diligence. I remember when we broke ground on June 4th a few years ago, several years ago, on our house up in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. And it was a long time before we finished. It was about a year and a half before we completely moved in. And when we moved in, the basement wasn't finished. That's where I lived, in the basement. And then after a while, the basement got finished. But it was a long time before we got in. But you know what it took? A lot of diligence. My dad would get me up often at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we'd go there. And we'd start working there. And we'd, we'd work sometimes till 10 o'clock at night, from dawn till dusk. Mom would bring us sandwiches. Sometimes she'd bring us some breakfast. Sometimes we'd get some donuts. Sometimes we'd take a break. Sometimes we'd work clear through. Dad was the general contractor, and he got a lot of cheap labor from me and my brothers. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. But we got a roof over our head. And so here you have it in this passage of Scripture. He says, giving all diligence. Hey, it doesn't take diligence to get saved. It takes faith to get saved. But it takes diligence to grow. I wish that it just happened easy. But nothing in life is easy. And who wants nothing? The truth of the matter is, is that it takes diligence to build your Christian life. It takes diligence to work on your attitude. It takes diligence to have a home that honors God. Look at me. I want all the married couples to listen to what I'm about to say. I have a pastor friend who said to me a few years ago, he said, Dwight, I've been in the ministry for 35 years. And he said, I am just about to recommend to chill young people who are about to get married. I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm just being transparent. He said, I'm just about to recommend to young, to young couples who are about to get married to go get prenuptials and meet with a lawyer and ahead of time sign papers and make it extremely difficult for them to get divorced. He said, because in my 35 years, couples are trying less and less to make it work. They're working less and less at making it work. Doesn't work, have a little trouble, little rocky part in your relationship, just give up and quit and go on. He said, and I'm almost to the point where I'm recommending they go to lawyers and they make prenuptials so that it's very difficult for them to get divorced. And they have to come back to the table and they have to work at it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I told my dad that, who's been married to my mom for 66 years, and he just cried. He said, have we come to this? Listen to me. This thing of the Christian life is not easy. It takes work. It takes reading your Bible every day. It takes getting down on your knees and praying every day. It takes going out and telling others about Jesus. It takes learning how to praise God. It takes working your way through the hard times and working your way through the, di di the, the difficult times. Beside all this giving, all diligence add to your faith. Hey, the Bible says in the book of 2 Peter, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and watch unto the end. The Bible says that we're to stand and having done all to stand in the evil day. Listen to me, young people. It's not going to be easy in the Christian life. And anybody that tells you it's going to be easy is lying to you. 
There's going to be hard times and valleys and difficult roads and curves that you weren't expecting. You're going to have to work at it. It says giving all diligence, but you better not do it in your own strength. Remember, the Lord's the builder. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says here. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. All right, watch now. This is what we're going to do. We're going to start adding to our faith. Number one, we're going to add virtue. Now you study the very first uh, step that most people tell you to take when you get saved, and it's not virtue. They'll say you need to get baptized, and I would agree with that. That's the first step of obedience after you get saved, and if you haven't been baptized, you ought to get baptized. That's the first step you ought to take. But you know what you ought to do very next? Add virtue. You say, what's that? Moral purity. Isn't that interesting? He said, add to your faith. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Uh, if, if it were written today, uh, many preachers would say, add to your faith Sunday night and Wednesday night. <laughs> now, I'm for going to church Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I'm glad to see you here on Sunday night. And God bless you for being here on Sunday night. But he doesn't say that. He says, add to your faith virtue. Moral purity. You say, preacher, it's hard to be morally pure in this day. Yes, but it was hard in that day. Do you know any place, is there any place in Brookings, South Dakota that has a temple that is that you celebrate your God by immorality? Is there any place like that in Brookings, South Dakota? That you know of? Is there any place like that in Sioux Falls, South Dakota that you celebrate your God by immorality? Where the priests and the priestesses worship their God by immorality. Anyone that you know of? Well, there was in Peter's day. That's the way you, you, you showed your, your love to your God. By immorality. That was the way you showed your devotion to your God. Was by immorality. So what does he say to them? He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue. Moral purity. In a wicked day, you can be morally pure. In a decadent day, you can be morally pure. Look at what he says. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. Alright, what are we supposed to add to our faith next? Knowledge. I think I saw something like that. Oh, right there, 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this isn't just cramming your head with any random facts. How many of you know Brother Paul Crow? How many of you know Brother Paul Crow? He's been here and preached. Long before there was ever Google, there was Paul Crow. Now, anybody that's ever been around Paul Crow knows that. He is the largest collection of useless facts anywhere on the planet. I mean, you need to know useless facts, you just ask Paul Crow. You didn't need, when I was in college, we didn't have Google, but we had Paul Crow. And we'd just ask him. You know what Paul Crow did when he was in sixth grade? He read the encyclopedia. Who does that in sixth grade? Paul Crow. And, and from that, he got all kinds of useless, useless facts. All kinds of useless facts. And, and, and he'll give you those facts, and if he doesn't know, he'll just make them up, and it'll sound really legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Google. Anyway, uh, I just want to say something to you, ladies and gentlemen. That we're not talking about useless facts. We're not talking about the statistics of your favorite baseball player. When he says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's talking about specific knowledge. And that's the knowledge of Jesus. And how do you know Jesus? Well, you know Him through His Word by studying it every day. And then a wonderful thing that He's given you 66 books of love letters. 66 books of warning, 66 books of guidance, 66 books of direction. I mean, that a blessing. I, I was just talking to a friend of ours, Hannah Kingsbury. We were coming across and we stopped and saw her in Rockford. And she, her husband just recently passed. She said, I'm finding notes still from John. 
she took one out in the bottom of her purse. She said, look at this. And it was just a little love note that he had written. She said, I've got a whole shoebox of notes that he wrote me. They've been married five years. Wow. And you want to know something? God's got a whole shoebox. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. Love notes and precious words that he's given and precious truth that he wants to impart to you. You know him through reading the word. You know him by praying. How do you get to know your wife? By talking to her. And by the way, sir, I would recommend that. And I would recommend listening. And, and listening well. One day my wife said to me, are you even listening to me? And I thought that was a strange way to start the conversation. But anyway, <laughs> you need to learn to listen to your wife. And listen to her. When she's talking, you need to tune in, not tune out. And you know you get to know her by talking to her. Just like you get to know the sweet Lord Jesus. You get to know the sweet Lord Jesus. You get to know Him by, by His Word. You get to know Him by prayer. Uh, you get to know Him by, by going through difficult times and He's right there. And nobody wants to go through the valley. Is there anybody here signed up for the valley? Alright, we're going to have a potluck sheet on the back and we're going to have a valley sheet. And if you just kind of sign up on one of those, that'd be good. Nobody's going to sign up for the valley sheet. I mean, a lady would gladly make a rat rhubarb pie but she, and she would gladly make an egg casserole, but she's not going to sign up and say, let me go through trouble. Nobody signs up for that, but there's a certain great big black hole of knowledge that you don't know until you go through the valley. I've been through some valleys, and you know what I learned in the valleys? That Jesus is the lily of the valleys. I've been through times when I've cried myself to sleep at night and not known how it was going to turn out, and looking at this whole situation saying, this isn't how I expected it, and I come out the other side, and I found that Jesus is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys, and it's there in the valleys that those flowers grow best. Hey, let me say something to you. You're going to know the Lord Jesus through prayer and through the Word, and you know Him through going through difficult valleys. He says, verse number six, at verse five, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, verse number six, temperance. What does that mean? All right, we're talking here about temperance. I'm adding to my faith. Temperance. Now, this isn't a temper. This is a temper under control. This is patience. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a short fuse. And sometimes I just blow up. And sometimes I, I get myself in trouble by just blowing up. I'm not saying that proudly. I'm just saying that's a fact. You know what God wants me to do? He wants to bring my temper under control. He wants to be, bring my temper into a balanced place. Everybody here that works with metal knows what a temper is on a blade and you sharpen that blade. And my dad taught me when he taught me to use the grinding tool that you take that blade of the axe and you go back and forth and back and forth on both sides at a right, just the right angle. But you don't want to do too much friction in one spot or it'll weaken the temper of that blade. And a blue spot will develop on that metal. Now, I don't want to have a weak temperance or a weak self-control. I want to be strong for the Lord in self-control. Not weak so that any little bit of root or any little bit of branch will break me. I want to be somebody who can withstand that pressure and can withstand that trouble. Are you hearing me? This is temperance. This is the idea of temperance and the idea of self-control. That means I control my appetite. That means I control my words. What I speak and what I put on social media. That means I control my attitude. That means I control my... I'm just all around under control. The Bible calls it moderation. Now, it, it seems like it's a missing art today. But I'm to add to my faith. What am I adding? Does this make me saved? Adding virtue and knowledge and temperance? Yes or no? Does it make me saved? Yes or no? 
No, it doesn't make me saved. What makes me saved is that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't want to just be saved. I want to look saved. I don't want to just be a Christian. I, I want to look like a Christian. I don't want people to drive by my life and say, oh, what's that? Oh, he's just steps to nowhere. Old broken down soccer fields. An old bunch of grass. What is that? Oh, well, it was supposed to be something, but it never got built. It never really got off the ground. So he says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance. What does he say? Patience. Wow. Say, preacher, I didn't come to get beat up tonight. Somebody says, I want patience and I want it now. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. In order for you to get patience, you know what you got to do? Go through trouble. In James chapter 1, he says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work in you. Why? Because you are allowing testing and various troubles to come into your life. Patience is what is the result of that. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. He wants us to be patient. Long-suffering is right in there. That means I'm willing to suffer long. Someone said, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. So, so are you going to quit? You're going to give up? You're going to give up on parenting because it's a little rough? You're going to give up on, on, on giving because it, it, things get a little scant? Are you going to give up on going to church because some Christian looked at you funny or sat in your seat or, or didn't shake your hand or, or worse? You're just going to give up like that? Well, I hope we don't have that kind of a weak kind of Christianity. I mean, some of you are, are Twins fans. Is there anybody here that's a Twins fan? All right, some of you are Twins fans and you're just a, you're a faithful fan. And they haven't won a World Series since 91. I mean, come on. But you're faithful and you're not going to give up. They said, maybe next time. You know, you can't win everyone. Walk out and say, you know, maybe next time. We'll come back and we'll get it. Maybe we'll get the pennant this year. And you're hoping for hope and for hope. But somebody looks at you funny at church. I give up on those people. I mean, a bunch of unfriendly, no good Christian cusses. I don't like those people at all. And you give up. Well, what kind of patience is that? A little bit of difficulty. He says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience, patience, godliness. Aha, godliness. This is the idea of being like the Lord. Now watch me. There are some ways that I cannot be like the Lord. You know what I'm saying? There are some ways that I absolutely cannot be like the Lord. For instance, I cannot be like the Lord in the matter of omnipresence. I, I'm not omnipresent, nor will I ever be omnipresent. I cannot be like the Lord in the area of omnipresence. I cannot be like the Lord in the area of uh, immutability, unchanging like the Lord is. I, I cannot be like the Lord in the area of omniscience. I don't know everything, and nor will I ever be able to know everything. I can't be like the Lord in that way, but I can be like the Lord in showing mercy. And so can you. I can be like the Lord in showing grace. And so can you. I can be like the Lord in those areas. So that's what he's saying. I, in the area of godliness. In other words, the ways that I can be like the Lord, I should be like the Lord. Watch. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, patience. To knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To br Watch what he says. To godliness, brotherly kindness. The Bible says we're to love as brethren. That implies brothers are supposed to love each other. Right? Are you with me? Okay, alright. I want to make sure now. I want to make sure you're getting what I'm saying. Brotherly kindness. I'm to love as brethren. In other words, love isn't the idea invented by a compromiser. 
Love is something that all of us ought to be showing. Somehow. To each other. Well, what do I do when I love? Well, I forgive. What do I do when I love? I forget. I don't hold grudges. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do I do when I love? I, 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 I'm going to put the other person first. What do I do when I love? I'm going to put me last. You see, our world is deplorably lacking in love, shouting about love all day long. But they don't know the first meaning of love if they haven't met the God who is love. He says, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, patience, or temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, are you ready? Charity. All right, charity is not just any kind of love. Charity is agape love. That's the highest form of love. That's the most godlike love. So what are we going to do? Put the charity on top. Now, I know you have to use a sanctified imagination. I hope anybody that's an architect here will just pretend he never saw this. Are you an architect? Oh, okay. Good, I'm safe. That brother Pigor was going to crucify me after the service. We need the charity on top. What happens if the, church, if the house doesn't have a chimney? I'm talking about a real old-fashioned house. Doesn't have a chimney. Doesn't have any warmth inside. Agape charity. 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Vaunteth not itself. The Bible says if you don't have charity, you're like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. When I was in high school from 10th through 12th grade, I played percussion and I played the cymbals and my favorite was the cymbals and I love my cymbals. And when I first got cymbals, they were kind of tarnished. And then later I got brand new cymbals that were polished. And I'll tell you what I did with those cymbals. I was like Barney Fife with my cymbals. Boy, I mean, I could put on a good cymbal show. And sometimes I'd take those cymbals out and I'd sneak them out of the band room and I'd go to my youth pastor's room and I'd sneak in his office when he wasn't there and when he came in, I'd scare the bejeebies out of him. <laughs> in fact, I think my youth pastor might have lost his sanctification once or twice. <laughs> we don't believe in leave, losing salvation, but he came real close when I did that. Uh, now, I will tell you, playing the cymbals by themselves don't make a very good song. And living your Christian life without charity doesn't make a very good song. It's just sounding brass. Tinkling symbol. But boy, when you have charity, you've got warmth. When you've got charity, you've got light. When charity, you, you got, you got charity, you got heat. Is there charity in your life? Is charity a major part of your life? Not just an afterthought? Are you stoking the fires of charity? Always making sure the fire doesn't go out? Always making sure the temperature's just right? Now watch, he says, add to your faith these things. Number one, we note the builder. Number two, we note the basis. Number three, we note the building material. It needs to be gold, silver, precious stones done for the Lord in the power of the Spirit and, in the, and, and, and for, the, for the glory uh, and for, to please the Lord. But watch now what the Bible says here in 2 Peter chapter number 1 and we're done. Look at what he says. He says, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8. For if these things be in you and abound... Hey, watch me. He doesn't say you're supposed to have a little bit of virtue. He says you're supposed to have a lot of it. Not a little bit of temperance, a lot of it. I think sometimes we say, well, I got a couple of bricks of temperance. That's good enough for me. I got a couple of bricks of patience. No, 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 no. I'm to have it all the way from the top to the bottom. And all the way from the bottom to the top. 
If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither, watch this, be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not just knowing, it's putting it to practice. You see, knowledge is no good if it's not put to practice. What good is it if I've got a bunch of useless facts going around in my brain? What good is it? It's no good at all. He says, he says, he wants us to be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But watch verse 9. Look at verse 9. Look at it right there in the Bible. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You say, what's that? That's a saved person. You say, preacher, time out. You mean a saved person can be blind? Uh-huh. I've met a lot of blind Christians. They can't see beyond their own nose. I've met a lot of blind Christians and they can't see afar off. What's out in front of me? Oh no. What's this right here? Oh. Why? Because they're not adding to their faith. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You know, an older saint said to me many years ago, Dwight, every day I pray, Lord, help me to see myself for who I really am. Not help me to see myself for who I think I am or for who others think I am or who I want to be seen as. Help me to see myself for who I really am. And when I heard that, Brother West, I said, that's a mouthful of a prayer that I need to pray every day. Why? He says, add to your faith. You're adding to your faith. You know what you're going to do when you build this house? You're going to be able to see and not be blind. He says he hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Somebody comes to me and they say, Brother Dwight, I'm not sure that I'm saved. You say, what do you say to a person that says, I'm not sure that I'm saved? Well, the first thing I do is I explain to them as simply as I can what it means to be saved. That salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And there must be a time in your life when you acknowledge your sin and that you need a Savior and that you want to trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior. And then I'll ask them this. Have you done that? Sometimes they'll say something like this. Well, I think I have. I thought I did. Well, I say, tell me about that. And if as they tell me about it, it sounds to me like they've gotten saved. The next question I'll ask is this. Is there something in your life that displeases the Lord? Because sin brings doubt. But you know what else brings doubt? The absence of virtue. The absence of knowledge. The absence of temperance. The absence of patience. The absence of godliness. The absence of brotherly kindness. The absence of charity. And it's just this old grown over field with a soccer goal somewhere and steps that lead to nowhere and somebody pocketed the money. It's not just the presence of sin that will bring doubt. It's the absence of what ought to be that will bring doubt. It says he hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So you either add to your faith and become fruitful or you forget that you were saved. You you become blind. Watch what he says in verse number 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. He said this two times now. Give diligence, give diligence, give diligence. What he's saying? He's saying this thing takes some diligence. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That doesn't mean to make sure you're saved or to, to to add to your salvation. He's just saying to prove to those that are watching that you're saved. That's what he's saying. To make your calling election sure. So that you know you have more than just a foundation. Hear me. You don't want to get to heaven and only have had the foundation. You want to get to heaven and be on the virtue wall. Or on the temperance wall. Or on the godliness roof. Or on the brotherly kindness roof. And look what he says. Verse number. Wherefore the brethren give, rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if 
you do these things, ye shall never fall. So what does he say in verse number eight? He says, if these things be in you and abound, you're going to be fruitful and, and not barren. He says in verse 10, if you do these, you shall never fall. Well, how about that? I'd like to be fruitful. And I'd like to, to, not, uh, to not get to the place where I can't see. And I'd like to be in such a way where I can see. And, and I've not forgotten that I was saved. And I'd like to not fall. Am I, am I the only one like that? Is there anybody else here like that? Say, preacher, that's me too. All right, well, what do you got to do? Build your house. Depend upon the Lord, the builder. Make sure it's built upon the basis of Jesus Christ and His Word. Build from the gold, silver, precious stone palette. Build your house and build daily. Work on virtue and knowledge of Jesus and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. Watch verse number 10. He says, he says, if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says in John 10, the thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Do you know what God wants? He wants you to be saved and have eternal life. And then he wants you to be sanctified and growing and building your house so that you have abundant life. Do you see? Because you could die this week. Now, I don't hope that you do. I pray that you have a lot of years left. But any one of us could die this week. And if you're building your life and adding to your faith, you'll be able to come across the finish line and say, here it is, Lord. Here it is. I'm, I'm a little kind of lax on virtue, but I've been working on it with the Lord's help. And I've been adding patience and temperance and knowledge and brotherly kindness and charity. I've been working on it, Lord. Here it is. And I'm so glad that I'm able to step across the finish line with an abundant entrance. You see, that person doesn't doubt whether they're saved. That person can see. That person is fruitful. That person doesn't fall to temptation. And that person is going to have an abundant entrance. Here I am, Lord. I knew you were going to come. I knew you were going to call me home someday. And, and there's still some things I wanted to do, but I'm ready to meet you. And here's my abundant entrance. And here's my life. Hopefully more gold, silver, precious stone than wood, hay, and stubble. You say, what about the person that doesn't do that? What about them? All right, they're the person that they're not ready when Jesus Christ calls. They're not ready when He comes. They're not ready when He, he, he asks them to come. They're not ready at all. Not even in the closest bit. And when Jesus comes, this is what they're doing. Oh, 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 now? What? You mean today? Wait, I was supposed to get my house ready. I, I, I thought I had plenty of time. Lord, I, I thought there would be plenty of time left. You weren't supposed to come yet. I, I got this building material and I was expecting you to come a little bit later. Lord, I, I, I just not ready. Pastor, I believe there are going to be a lot of Christians who not only were not really adding to their faith, all they had was a foundation. They got in by the skin of their teeth and they just didn't care. And this is all they're going to have to offer Jesus? That's no opinion. That's not the will of God. So the best thing we could do tonight is begin to build our house. Would you bow with me in prayer?
heads are bowed and eyes are closed. He said, Preacher, I, I, I didn't know. I've been wondering why I've been given into temptation. I've been wondering why I've been unfruitful. I've been wondering why I've been doubting my salvation. I've been wondering why I can't see. I've been wondering why I can't experience the abundant life because I haven't been doing my part. I'm saved and on my way to heaven, but honestly before the Lord, He's spoken to me tonight. And I, if I were to stand before the Lord right now, I think I'd be that last person.